You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm a coach and consultant working in schools with leaders to help them to improve their own well-being and the well-being of all their staff. I'm really happy today to have Sunita Bagri on the show. I've been waiting to talk to Sunita for quite a long time now, having followed her on social media and seen all the amazing things that she's doing with her Every Teacher Matters project. She's really doing some good work to support well-being in schools. Um, Sunita herself uh, was actually a head teacher in a number of schools. She worked in primary schools for over 20 years and now she does this work supporting well-being in schools in response to the current retention crisis and the focus that we've now got in teaching on well-being. She runs the Cultivate Coaching and Consultancy Agency and leads the Every Teacher Matters project. Sunita is so dedicated to teachers and leaders' happiness. I'm sure you'll be inspired by her commitment to enhancing well-being for everyone in schools. She's also, and I was quite inspired by this too, she's a mum to three children, one of whom, and she talks about this in the interview, has complex disabilities and obviously uh, quite severe needs. And this is one of the curveballs that she was thrown in her life that she talks about as well in the interview. And hearing about her resilience and the way she's coped under pressure and the way that she dealt with that and then went back into the workplace as a head teacher, I find truly inspirational. We also talk in the interview about setting boundaries. And I think this is really important in terms of leaders and teachers' well-being being able to know when to stop doing something for the benefit of your own mental health. Because I think as teachers and leaders, we are so dedicated to what we do that we want to give more of ourselves than we're actually able to give. And I've heard this, it's such a cliche. It really is an awful cliche, but I don't think there's a much better way of describing it. And when you're on an aeroplane, you're always told that you fit your own oxygen mask first before you start helping other people. And this is where boundaries are really important because you have to understand how to keep yourself well. And you have to understand what to say yes to, what to say no to and where to draw the line. And often we are not able to do that effectively as leaders and Sunita and I talk about this and she's got some great ideas about knowing yourself better and about how you can implement those boundaries that you set, how you can create better habits and how you can change the way you work for the better. Enjoy the interview. 
Sunita Bakri, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. I'm so excited that we have eventually managed to connect with each other. We've been talking for a while, haven't we, over social media and uh, following each other and supporting each other. But we finally got around to talking to each other and I'm really quite excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the show. Absolutely. I feel exactly the same, Vicky. Thanks so much for having me on today. Um, do you want to start by telling me about the work that you're doing now? Because you're a, a, a very um, strong supporter of well-being in schools, aren't you? So if you can just tell us about the work you're doing now and, and what led you to that. Yeah, sure. I'd be more than happy to. So I've got an education background. I've been in primary schools for 20 years now. And over the last two years, I felt compelled to uh, do something about well-being generally in schools but equally to really contribute towards the teacher retention crisis that we've got going on and you know I've trained 20 years ago and I've just know so many you know experienced teachers that have left the profession and you know they've left the profession because they are genuinely disillusioned by the educational landscape, the changes from a sort of a government level, the political stance that is taken, and actually the lack of autonomy. So, you know, as I started to notice all of these, you know, these common threads occurring, and I had a range of different experiences in the last five years of my career, having led lots of different schools with really interesting, you know, um, again, I use the word educational landscapes with, with differing contexts. So having led, you know, large inner city schools to working and setting up a free school to working in small village schools that belong to huge multi-academy trusts to working in local authority schools. You know, there was this common pattern that I started to see um, and really saddened me, really did genuinely make me feel very sad. I'm I'm really passionate about education. I had to fight hard for the privilege of an education myself. So school has always got a very strong association. And actually, I I had wonderful role models growing up as a child uh, in teachers that I had. And I've always felt very, very, you know, equally as passionate about teachers being those positive role models, because as teachers, we are influences ultimately. So I started to see this, you know, this, as I say, this reoccurring trend of people, either experienced teachers leaving the profession well before they were due to, or our younger teachers coming into the profession and then leaving and then there's been a lot of coverage over the last two years in various media articles around teachers you know um four in ten teachers predicted to leave their career within the first three years um and all of those reasons combined and then my own personal experience in life um my passion for personal development well-being and coaching you know all of these things all of these factors combined really compelled me into launching the every teacher matters project so my company is called cultivate coaching and consultancy and that's really what the work that i do now but the project that is you know absolutely underpinned there is the every teacher matters project and that has got three main facets to it one is coaching coaching for well-being absolutely you know that's i do well-being coaching as a absolute place a premise to start from because we are 
professionals second, we are people first. So I always come with that in mind. So we start from well-being, and then whatever direction and whoever it is that I'm working with, you know, a, a coach who leads their own direction. That's the the course of action, as you know very well. So we, you know, coaching is the the under underlying facet of the project but then the second facet is i run a network the every teacher matters network and the true purpose of that is to provide educators a safe space amongst the community of like-minded professionals that place well-being at the heart of everything that we do so i have motivational speakers that you know, our professionals in their field. So they might come and share an aspect of personal development and share how that like the how to. So there's an aspect of learning in the meetings. Then there's an aspect of, you know, inspiration. So this could be somebody from within the, the teaching profession that itself, or it could be someone outside of that, but leaving our, you know, our, our audience with a sense of inspiration. And then there's an aspect of well-being, which is, you know, introducing and giving the opportunity to share you know a proven method or or model of well-being which might be right for them and I found that you know as a, as a teacher myself and we've spoken uh, off air about you know what well-being means to us and what's good for us often when you're on that hamster wheel of just just going round and round and round you don't know what's good for you you're just literally crashing and burning each night and repeating the cycle every day and you hear these things about well-being and you hear certain people saying oh you should try yoga or you should try meditation or have you heard of mindfulness and you know as a teacher you're thinking yeah but I haven't got time <laughs> when am I going to do that <laughs> yeah quite so I think what the, the aim of the well-being network is very much to say, we know you don't have time. We know you don't might necessarily not want to make a commitment to something that you haven't trialed. So come along to the meetings. There's seven in the year and every meeting will share an aspect of well-being that might just be right for you. So that's the network. And then the third aspect is training. And that's very much around well-being workshops, you know, again, around personal resilience, emotional mastery, time management, work-life balance, nutrition, eating the right foods, knowing what keeps us and gives us these really vital energy levels to sustain us as teachers. And then um, included in that is the mental health first aid training as well. So that is what the project consists of. Wow, it sounds like you're doing some amazing work there. That's that's a, a, a broad spectrum of things that you've just been over that I think really give a, a really nice summary of what well-being actually actually means in the teaching profession. Um, I mean, as a as a head teacher, I know you've been a primary school head teacher and you've worked in quite a number of challenging schools. So there's quite a lot of pressure there. Then you're the mother to three children. Um, and obviously that has its own pressure and stress that comes with it and you say that you've that you've been thrown curveballs in your career I think it would be interesting for our listeners to to know what some of those are and and how you overcame those as a head teacher is probably under an awful lot of pressure and stress as it is yeah absolutely so my my sort of passion when i when i alluded to having um you know seen my teachers as inspirational role models 
that really stems from a, a childhood of, you know, I was born to immigrant parents and my parents were, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have an education themselves from back home in India. And when they came over to the country, you know, they were just manual and I'm not saying just because they did what they could with the resources that yeah. they had, but they were manual labor, you know, worked in factories, manual jobs as laborers and worked really hard to provide food on the table and a roof over our heads. And that was really their, their main mission to keep us all safe and, and fed and watered. And they had their own difficulties in leaving their own motherland and coming and establishing new relationships, not necessarily being accepted by society. And all of those factors combined had, um, you know, didn't have a very good um, uh, impact on their mental health. And actually, my parents, you know, their stories are really very quite sad in, in terms of what they also grew up with and, and their own family. So, you know, there's absolutely no ill feeling towards my parents whatsoever. They did the best that they had. Um, but clearly, Really growing up in an environment like that it does have an impact on your mental health and there's no denying that so I didn't understand that as a child of course you just go through the motions but what I remember very vividly is being in school and particularly in primary school and I did have a great secondary school I have to say but particularly where those nurturing relationships start in that primary foundation stage I had some wonderful teachers and because I was so aware of some of those bad feelings and that's all I knew at the time they were just bad feelings I didn't know anything other than that I know that when I went to school my teachers made me feel better when I went to school I felt safe when I went to school my teachers had high expectations of me my teachers inspired me so what I did know was that I wanted to be a teacher and that was really really clear very early on I remember probably being six or seven thinking yeah I know what I want to do and um, so knowing and internalizing all of that I what I again you know you make sense of lots of things as, a, as an adult which you, you're just sort of going through and navigating your way through but now I'm very very clear that what I knew very early on is that as a teacher I have to be in the, the best I have to be my best so for me, the personal development side of things and, you know, um, it, actually investing in myself and keeping myself well and healthy was always very important to me because I knew that as a child, having going into a classroom and actually seeing um, a teacher that's not necessarily in the best state themselves, that impacts on me like it did when my mum and my dad weren't in the best state of mind, that impacted on me. So I worked, you know, really hard on myself as a person. Uh, and I would say that that's probably led me to this point where I know, despite the challenges that I had in my career, I had this inner resilience, which I like to call my inner armor that I had developed. So um, the, the real significant turning point in my life has been having a disabled son. So my second child was um, born with really complex disability and still doesn't have a diagnosis to this day. I mean, he's 30, he's going to be 13 in December. And, you know, have, having that and then having behind me this foundation of a, a strong, ambitious career. And I was really career minded, I was really ambitious, I re really wanted to climb the ladder. 
Um, and then having this huge curveball thrown at me and actually having, you know, two and a half years off work, not knowing whether I'd ever be able to return to work. And that had a, a really, really, that, you know, led me into a very, very dark place because not only was I dealing with, you know, this, I was a carer to my son and we had long stays in hospital. You know, at one point we were told to prepare for palliative care for end of life for treatment for him. So dealing and, and sort of processing all of that and then thinking I'm never going to be able to go back to work to a job that I truly love and feel that I was, you know, I was born to, to, to be in was a very, very difficult time for me. Um, but the good news is that, you know, although my son still has complex disability, his medical needs are, you know, as, as he's grown older and we've been very fortunate with seeking some, you know, um, medical input from across the country, particularly in Europe, we've managed to, to get him into a good state of health. And I was able to return to work and I was able to pursue my career ambitions because what's, what's always really important has been important to me is that I never want to look back and live a life of regret. I think if I ever, re you know, reach that time when it's time to go and I'm looking back at my life and I think oh, I wish I had done that that for me keeps me well and truly in check um, so I, I didn't want the reason that I didn't pursue my career ambition I didn't want that to be because of my son because I think that that may have created some ill feeling or some you know um, regret and I just you know my son's beautiful he's wonderful he's so special and and he's taught me so much about life that if that were ever the case you know I, I couldn't live with myself so I, I thought despite the odds no matter how difficult it's going to be and I know it's going to be difficult I've got the tools I've got the resources I'll seek whatever I need to seek and you know that's where coaching comes in you know and I'll do what I do to get back to work and and, and pursue my career ambitions so I would say that that's really one of the, the major curveballs that I've dealt with but I think you know I'm really grateful for that because all that made me do was it galvanized me and my what I really wanted in life what my values were what my um true purpose was in life and actually what I wanted to give back to everybody that I worked with so as a leader it made me even you know more uh, astutely aware of people's life experiences and the yeah. fact that people are thrown you know these these curveballs all the time and not like I was and actually I've got to be sensitive I've got to be kind I've got to be compassionate and understanding and really it's not a, a magic formula at all it's just being human and, and and understanding that there is this common humanity that we all share we share these experiences and life gives us pain uh, and gives us these painful experiences so in the time rather than then, you know, yes, we've got to improve outcomes for children and we love the children, we're passionate about that. But how can we do that in a kind and compassionate way rather than um, the staff in my school feeling fearful and worried and scared? So really that was how I, how I led. I led from the heart and I, I believe in servant leadership and I like to think that's, that's what, what I, you know, I, I did and, and how I brought about some changes and developed connection and relationships with the staff that I worked with. I think listeners will definitely be inspired by your tenacity and, and your resilience and the way that you've dealt with the curveballs that you call them that life has thrown you. One of the things that you say, I was, I was reading one of your blogs, and one of the things that you say in there is that I think in order to, to deal with those things, you have had to work hard to understand your boundaries and what your boundaries are. Um, and, and I think 
that's really important because I think a lot of teachers and a lot of leaders in schools don't have boundaries and they've not spent the time. And I think this is where coaching can come in as well to really understand what their boundaries are. Um, And then sometimes even when they do know what their boundaries are, they find it really difficult to put those boundaries in place and really enforce them. So how do you think, first of all, how can leaders understand what their boundaries are and then what do they need to do so that they can make sure they enforce them? So leaders and teachers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and teachers, yeah. So I think it, it, knowing yourself is the, the first point, you know, it's about knowing lots of us, and I think you and I spoke about this earlier, lots of us just, we just get go through the motions on a daily basis and we're not giving ourselves the time and the space and we both acknowledge that actually coaching that's why it's so impactful for teachers and leaders because it gives you that space and aligns you to what you really want so the first you know the the first sort of stage in my mind is to know yourself when you know yourself you know what is acceptable to you you know what you like what you don't like and then you start to create almost this you know um, I'm I'm sort of circling around my finger because you try and create this physical sort of understanding okay so I on a Tuesday I've got to collect or I want to collect not got to I want to collect my daughter from school or you know, if she's in after school care or whatever, what, you know, teachers, we have to think about after school care for our children. So I'm not saying collecting our child at 3.30. I'm thinking, okay, I want to get there a bit earlier today because I want to spend some quality time with my daughter. And you've, you've got to know that from the outset, that that's what you want to do. Because if you leave it to chance, well, the chances are you're going to be seeing a parent at the end of the day. Yeah. The chances are someone's going to plan in a meeting. The chances are you're going to start planning for the next day or you're going to start piling you know, through that load of marking that you've got. But when you know what you want, then you start to, and sometimes it's, you know, what I think is really important is, is to actually plan, you know, planning with teachers. Don't we plan for all the children in our class but when do you sit and plan for yourself and that is the the most important thing that you know I'd like anybody to take from this this uh, you know this conversation actually when you start planning for yourself and what it is that you truly want then you start to those those boundaries and, and enforcing those starts to become a natural part of the process what is it do you want to do yoga on a Thursday evening at six o'clock great make it happen how are you going to make it happen Before we hear more from Sunita, I'd like to introduce you to our partner, headteacherchat.com. Headteacherchat discusses lots of topics, from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Headteacherchat is to support headteachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat, it's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview and find out how you can prioritise the things that are important to you. 
you've got to sort of plan that, haven't you? You've got to leave school earlier on that day. You might have to have your, your meal planned or it's a takeaway or it's a convenience meal, whatever on that, on that night. So the, you know, that for me, it's, you've got to prioritize yourself because unless you do, nobody is going to come and do it for you. So know yourself, prepare for yourself, plan for yourself, and then enforcing your boundaries is just about making it happen. I'm not saying it's easy. Again, well-being coaching, coaching in general can be a real catalyst for people that are struggling with those sorts of problems or, you know, having, I, I work with a lot of teachers, I'm sure you do as well, and sitting there and saying, look, how it might not feel saying no to somebody might not feel comfortable the first time, second time, fifth time, even 10th time, but eventually it becomes a part of your psyche and actually saying no to everybody else is saying yes to yourself. It's about change, isn't it? It's about changing the way that you've done things. And sometimes that can be really difficult because we very easily fall back into our old patterns and habits and routines and I think that it's really important to try to keep doing it. If you And if you didn't manage to do it this week, think about what was it that prevented you from doing that this week? And what can you do differently next week that will mean you will actually get a chance to do it and that you'll do it? And I think that's why coaching often is particularly useful because there's a layer of accountability there. When you know, sometimes I know when I have to go back to my coach and say, yeah I didn't do that that's at the back of my mind when I'm in that process of having to change my routines or change my habits for for the better for me having that accountability and knowing that I have to face someone and say no I didn't and knowing how good it feels to say I did and then once you can start building that into your routine or your patterns and your habits it becomes much easier doesn't it it does. So, yeah, really important point, really important point there about accountability. And I think, you know, tr- I truly believe that because teaching is a profession where you just are so you, you can just easily fall back into old habits because it's easier just to do what you were always doing and wait till the next holiday. I think the accountability factor is absolutely critical if you are a teacher that wants to make a change, doesn't really know how to, but then needs that accountability. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that, Vicky, because I think that's really important. And it, it can it, it can be as easy as having um, a buddy in work. I, I, one of the things that I um, work on is, is buddying systems or um, mental health hubs or pods and having a buddy in school. And it could be that you call that an accountability buddy and you tell them what you're going to do this week. <laughs> and then they say to you, you say to them, just ask me if I did that. And it can be as simple as that sometimes for leaders and for teachers as well, having that buddy and that person who's just going to say, oh, by the way, did you do that yoga class or did you, it can be really helpful. One of the things that, that I was thinking as we were talking then is as a head, I think it's really important to try to ensure that your staff do get that space so that they can improve their well-being so how as a head um can you work on minimizing unnecessary workload for staff to allow them to get some space so that they might be able to start doing some of those things that contribute to their well-being 
Yeah, I think that really does take a whole school approach. And I think it absolutely comes from the leader. So in terms of reducing workload, so when we look at, you know, the factors of burnout, for example, we absolutely are clear that workload is just one of them. You know, there are six factors yeah. if we look at Christina Maslach's model. Then if workload is just one of them, then there's other factors here, aren't there? And I think that one of the most important things a school could and should be doing is very much around, you know, creating a culture and a commitment around well-being, which is modelled and really held. It's the governors. It comes not just from the head, but it actually comes from the governing body. The governing body needs to be completely on board and actually make make it happen so that it's very. Um, it's, a, it's not something that's in addition to the school improvement plan. It's actually, I mean, I, was, I had a great, you know, uh, meeting with a school last week uh, where the head teacher said it's number one on our school priority. And I'm just so I'm a governor there. So I was, <laughs> it was like music to my ears. But actually, you know, in terms of having some working parties some well-being working parties, which is similar to what you're saying around the mental health. But actually, if we have well-being working parties in a school where we start to ask those really important, candid questions where people are given the opportunity to answer really honestly about what is affecting their mental health what is good for their well-being when a head teacher knows and understands that bit and starts to talk about mental health and well-being just as often as they would Ofsted or talk about maths and English then we know that this is a high agenda item in the school and knowing what like I mean another example I'll give you is you know um some teachers do um like awards and certificates for staff members. And it's a really lovely idea, isn't it? On the face yeah. of it, to make the staff feel valued. But there are some teachers who really struggle with anxiety and making them come up to collect a certificate in front of the children in an assembly or even in the staff room, it, it feeds their anxiety in a very negative way. They don't like it. So actually for a head teacher to be aware of what is it that makes this staff member anxious and knowing your staff that well, I would say is you're going to find out stuff about the children and about other aspects of the school. But when you know the staff at that level where you are acutely aware of what might set a member of staff off, then you've got a real foundation for meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I speak to a lot of head teachers in my education support facilitation role, and I, I find it so, so insightful because well-being, one of the head teachers that I'm working with, she is, um, she's saying that currently she's looking after her well-being by, with the governors, they've agreed for her to go home at, three o'clock on two days of the week and that's really good for her well-being obviously there are teachers in the school that you know don't don't necessarily think that's a great model for the head to be going home at three o'clock because they've got children as well so she's working with those members of staff she again is very reflective and is, is acutely aware of while she's getting that well-being space there are members in her school that might not necessarily be getting that and another example is, you know, saying that we're all leaving at four o'clock on a Friday, that's not necessarily good for somebody's well-being. No. And actually, that, there are members of staff that want to get the work done 
from seven o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night and want to go home and then not think about school mm -hmm. at all. But there's other members of staff that need to stay in school to finish off their work because, sorry, there are members of staff that want to leave school at four o'clock, finish off their work at home because they want to spend those three hours of precious time with their children. And it's about understanding that around your staff because in terms, there's lots of practical things we can do like in reducing the workload. And that absolutely is streamlining marking feedback, moving it over to verbal feedback and looking at, you know, do we really need to enter all of this entry point assessment in the blinking, you know, um, system every half time? Do we really need to do that? No Just questioning. <laughs> we don't. We don't. So it's really questioning that and, and really looking at that high stakes accountability. Who are we doing it for? Because if you're working with a head who's just doing it for Ofsted, then they're going to miss the, miss the point altogether, aren't they? If we can just come together as a team and understand ourselves first and our place within that team, and then, yes, okay, we do have to think about Ofsted, unfortunately. But that, again, that whole tone, it disseminated down from the head teacher. If the head is just saying it's all for Ofsted, then, you know, it's not, rock, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. You're going to create a culture of fear and it puts a lot of pressure on staff doesn't it that's why that's why i mentioned the mental health or well-being pods because i think it's a lot more difficult in a high school especially if you're in a large high school and you've got over a hundred members of teaching staff as a head teacher or as a senior leader in that school it's not possible to know each of those members of staff on a sort of i call it an intimate level but you you know what i mean in that sort of way and it's probably easier in a primary school whereas when you get those those hubs and they are you know there's somebody in that hub who's responsible for listening to the people and, and what they're saying then that's a good way of getting to know your staff and for your staff to feel like they're they're being listened to and that there's some support for them so in terms of a, of a high school i would recommend creating some sort of well-being pods or hubs or whatever you want to whatever yeah. you want to call it for that specific reason because everybody's needs are different and it's like you say someone wants to go home at three someone wants to stay in school it's not it's not suitable to enforce things like finish the day at whatever time it might be but it's about individual needs and 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 actually trying to understand the needs of of your staff and to put things in place so that they can work to the best of their ability isn't it um yeah. One of the things that, that I find is causes lots of tension or is a real pull for teachers and leaders in schools. And you said, um, I think I read in one of your blogs that you said you felt like you couldn't work any harder and yet you weren't harboring the gains. And I think this is a struggle for a lot of heads because uh, and senior leaders and teachers, let's not, <laughs> we don't need to sort of, specify anyone they're working 70 to 80 hours a week but things aren't changing and results aren't improving so what's the answer to that if there is one i'm not i'm not i'm not expecting you to have all the answers sunita but what's your response to that yeah i definitely haven't got a crystal ball today vicky can't can't i don't know the answer to that definitely but all i can do is share my experience and you know i i think leadership is a journey and I think that, you know, experience definitely informs your practice. And I think that as we continue that leadership journey, we, we learn, we learn from our teams, we learn from the context of the school and the situation. But um, 
you know, we can, anybody can work 70 to 80 hours a week, can't they? Anybody can do that. But what is it that you're working on? You know, that would be my question. And actually time tracking is a great, you know, a, a great time management tool to be able to look at and reflect and coaching. You know, I'm sure, you know, when I work with teachers, I, I do encourage them to do some time tracking. And the same thing with leaders, you know, what are you spending that time on? Because is it something within us that we need to change? Are we not working? Are we not using our team around us to the greatest effect? Now. I love empowering others and that's why I coach and I know that's why you coach. Yeah. As we've both been senior leaders, I to me the best investment of my time is in developing the people around me. And it's collaborating around the people around me and having, you know, a, a team that doesn't even need me to be there because they are so equipped with the knowledge the practical experience the understanding the professional development that goes with that and then the honesty and the transparency and the integrity because as a school leader you know we don't need a set of standards to tell us we should be you know we should be living breathing and exemplifying that in everything that we do and if that's not filtering down to your leaders and they're not just becoming an extension of you in your absence then in my mind, you're not really doing an effective job as a leader. Um, and I, and I do, did have a conversation with somebody in a school once, um, not that long ago, trying to explain that. And they just looked at me completely blankly, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I knew that I was a, a square peg trying to go into a round hole there. It feels um, like it's a, a huge step change to make in teaching because it feels like there's an unwritten law in teaching and leadership in schools that you must work 60 hours a week and if not then you are not fulfilling the the role so to speak how do we change that i think through the work that we're doing absolutely i think that through coaching i love coaching full stop i could you know work with anybody but one of the reasons that i really enjoy coaching teachers is because we've got to challenge these pseudos we've got to challenge and equip our teachers to ask questions we've got to equip our teachers to think laterally one of the problems that i see in the profession is that teachers are very easily led and they're very easily influenced and if you say something's black, then they'll take it as black. And if you, you know, this, there's this holy grail of leadership and they don't tend to question. We're not equipping our teachers to be critical thinkers like we should be because we, we teach our children, our pupils to do that. But actually, if something isn't going right, then we need, or something doesn't feel right, or if a, a value in the school is misaligned, then we, we need to, we should have the courage to be able to say that. And the more teachers that understand that now, the more change they can create back in their work, workplace and in their school communities. I'm not saying it's easy, but I would say that that's a great starting place. So for some of our school leaders, and I'm not generalizing, because I've worked with some wonderful leaders, I've worked with some not very effective leaders too. But in my mind, if 
these school leaders know that their way isn't going to be accepted and it is going to be challenged, then they're naturally challenged to do something differently and lead in a different way. So I, I haven't got a, a, a short answer there, but what I would say is equipping, doing the work that we're doing, raising the awareness and understanding about why our leaders, our teachers are leaving the profession is an absolutely essential part of making change and waving the well-being flag. It's interesting there that you mention teachers leaving the profession and you mentioned before almost half of newly qualified teachers will leave teaching before the fifth or by the end of the fifth year um, and I read something else it was it said 25% of teachers and senior leaders there were about 1700 people interviewed and I think 25% of them said they were planning on leaving by the end of the year which I, I found quite shocking and the NH T have just done a poll and um, I saw the article in the Guardian today um, and it says in this poll almost half of the people they surveyed are planning to leave their role prematurely um, and 70% of people said that their job satisfaction has fallen in the last year and I think obviously the COVID pandemic has had a significant impact on schools and it's continuing to have an impact on schools. And from my reading, looking at social media, I can see that, that teachers and senior leaders, they're getting to the point of exhaustion. There, there will be teachers reaching breakdown. I'm still in contact with teachers from the school where I previously worked and they're absolutely exhausted. I don't know if you've got an answer to this. I'm just throwing it out there to say, you know, what can we do about it? Um, again, I would just revert back to really what I've said, and that's just raising awareness and educating. And, you know, it, I mean, it, it sadly doesn't shock me with, with what you've shared there. I've, I've been reading similar articles if not the same and right now I mean you know I, I can pride myself in doing a lot of things but you know what I haven't led a school through a pandemic so I can only only imagine what these teachers uh, you know our, our fellow colleagues that you and I are both really passionate about supporting I can only imagine what they're dealing with and how difficult it must be and I really do extend my thanks to, to them all right now for, for doing the work that they are. I mean, what can we do? What can we do other than reduce the workload is a really good starting point. Actually, you know, making sure that our staff know that their voice matters. You mentioned this and I'll echo that. You know, they're, they're, they're important. That They must be valued. They must be acknowledged. They must be celebrated because the staff are the school's greatest asset. And when schools realise that and understand that, then hopefully that will that will change and shift paradigms you know creating some let's really be clear about the factors that are causing the stress what are they because we only seem to be talking and the dfe only seem to be talking about workload now you and i we touched about upon burnout earlier but let's let's leave burnout just where it is for a moment let's not look at even burnout let's just look at the factors that cause teachers stress well what caused me stress was of course the workload what caused me stress was at times this lack of support from leadership 
it, in taking the time to understand the issues. As a leader, what were the frustrations for my staff? It was this expectation of working 70 hours a week. It was this expectation of a culture in the school where they had to, you know, they were being watched maybe about, or they felt they were being watched, what time they came in and what time they left. This micromanagement style that comes from so many of our leaders, sadly. This academy, the academy agenda hasn't done anybody any any favors whatsoever you know how can we start running like businesses we don't make profit businesses run on a profit model don't they i'm not saying we don't apply some good business methodology to schools absolutely but you know our outcomes are not they're not monetized our outcomes are children's lives and children's progress i don't think you can profit in, in the same way as you can't make that comparison. So actually, come on, let's really, really be smart and think about how, how academies are destroying our precious education system. I'm not saying that there are some that work very effectively and, and let's share those ones that are working really effectively. Let's share what they're doing and let's learn from them. Other good practices where people are getting great results. You know, um, I know Steve Waters will always allude to Jeremy Hene from Three Bridges Primary School. You know, let's look at what these wonderful leaders are doing and let's share, let's, let's make them the pioneers. Let's get them on the platform and say, what are you doing that's so effective in your schools where teacher retention is low where staff turnover is low where outcomes are high what are you guys doing so we can all learn from you so what you know um behavior what is what is another massive cause of yeah. um teacher stress is managing behavior of pupils scnd you know we kept we're caring compassionate people as teachers when when a child isn't making progress that bothers us, that affects us, that hurts our feelings. They're the things that keep us awake at night. Let's educate. This, you know, exclusion isn't the answer. Trying to get the Senko to deal with all the children with behavior and um, special needs isn't the answer. Let's create some teams around the teacher mm. so that actually when a pupil's behavior is difficult, then we, they're not on their own. They're not feeling isolated with these problems. They've got other people that are supporting that behavior. So for me, Vicky, the answer is let's understand the true issues and let's not mask the fact that it's just workload because really it's so much more than just workload. Simply dealing with, okay, we're going to give verbal feedback isn't going to make all the difference. It's going to help it's not going to make all the difference it's looking at the bigger picture and everything isn't it and i think the 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 uh, the concern that i have is the mental health of staff and how that's contributing to their well-being at the moment um and and that's a significant factor uh, mental health and creating a well-being culture and you and i are trained first aid for mental health instructors so just briefly how do you think that that can support especially at this moment in time creating that culture of, of supporting staff mental health and well-being absolutely so as um you know as teachers we're not trained counselors or therapists and no. the training you know being trained i'm sure you'll agree doesn't doesn't sort of you know quantify us to become one but what it does do is it makes us sensitive to the issues that our colleagues are dealing with it raises our awareness we become um, again we become astutely aware of a colleague that may be going through a difficult time so it creates a space it creates a further connection schools can be isolated places and right now we know that they're more isolated than ever so if we can 
try and bring that support within to the school community so that a member of staff knows that actually are they dealing with something because mental health is one of those areas where you can start to think it must just be me i'm sure everybody else is okay it must just it's probably just me and i think that's where that stigma around mental health it's so important to break that stigma the um the teacher wellbeing index is going to be released again this month and i'm just waiting with bated breath for that to come out but last year's teacher wellbeing index absolutely clearly states that there is i think it was around the stigma being around 36 percent of members uh, of going into school on a daily basis and going in knowing and acknowledging themselves that they're struggling with a mental health condition but not speaking about it to anybody and then again it goes back to my former point around when you're working with children that's naturally going to have an impact on the children i was interviewing a member a colleague yesterday for a podcast who said that when she had anxiety she was working even harder to mask that anxiety and as a result of that the children in the classroom were picking up on that anxiety and things were not going well. So it's about catching those scenarios before, you know, it's, it's about being preventative. So it doesn't get to that point. You know, what can we, I'm, I'm not a fan of employee assistance programs. I'm a fan of mental health training because that's what's going to prevent our you know, our teachers and you and I both off air spoke about our own personal stories with one another around, you know, what some of those mental health issues that we've personally dealt with. And, you know, what, what can we do before we pick the phone up to a union or to occupational health or to the GP for, for counselling? And how can we break that stigma and break those barriers in the school environment so that it becomes commonplace and then a place of mutual understanding that we've all got mental health and it's just mental health on a scale and some days that scale you know it, it, it's like sifting sifting sands you know it, it it moves it moves from one end to the other and so in those days what is it that we can do can we understand our triggers can we and it's just around being sensitive about being kind and not, no blame you know there's no blame here we are all we are all you know sharing these painful experiences and these, these difficult mental battles so you you provide training don't you at levels one two and three for first aid for mental health yeah. how can uh, if school leaders are listening and they want to access that training how can they do that yes yeah, certainly so they can get in touch with me um, directly and that's contact at sanitabagri.com all of the information I, I is on the teach well alliance website so steve waters who i work in partnership with who is also a mental health first aid instructor all of the course information if you want the absolute specifics of, of the course and the details around it i'd encourage listeners to visit the teach well alliance website further information or certainly contact me directly and i'll be more than happy to respond great i usually end the podcast by asking for a tip for her teachers to improve well-being in their school however i don't think i need to ask you that question because this interview has just been absolutely jam packed with tips for school leaders i am absolutely certain that they will be taking away a whole range of strategies and tools that they can use to put in place and teachers as well so thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing all that with us it's been an absolutely inspirational interview um, 
I, I, I think people are going to just get so much from it. If, um, if we want to look at your website, if, if there are leaders out there who want to work with you, who'd like to get you to come and do some consultancy on well-being in their schools, how can they get in touch with you? Yes, certainly. That would be my pleasure. So you can contact, have a look at my website, which is just my name. So that's www.sunitabagri.com and Sunita spell S-U-N-E-T-A-B-A-G-R-I. And then the other website to visit in terms of the Every Teacher Matters project is exactly that, www.everyteachermattersproject.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vicky. I think there were some amazing insights from Sunita there and I want to say thank you to her for taking the time to come and share her own experience of leadership and of supporting well-being in schools with us. I think that you'll have taken lots of ideas for things that you can do yourself. One of the main messages that Sunita wants to get across is that of looking after yourself and by looking after yourself you put yourself in a much better position to be able to look after your staff. And I think one of the things that she was saying is that being able to say no to people is not a weakness. It's about being able to say yes to yourself. And that's one of the main parts of being able to look after yourself better. I've written a blog about about how you can say no. And you can find that on my website at www.transformeducationcoach.com. And knowing when to say no is really important. Being able to say no and say it authentically from a position of looking after yourself is something that you can do to really make a difference to your own well-being. So needs insights too into how to look after the mental health of staff, your own mental health as well, is absolutely key at all times in schools, but especially in the current COVID pandemic that we're in the middle of. So being able to identify what the needs of your staff are in relation to well-being and in relation to mental health is particularly important and like Sunita says um, she is available and her company is available and her associates to provide that mental health training in your schools and you can find all that information on her website at sunitabagri.com well that's all we've got time for today I hope you enjoyed the interview And I hope that you've learned something and that you're taking something that you can use to support your own well-being. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. See you next time.